Hi there, my name's Chris Barrow, and you're listening to Incisive Decisive. Hello and welcome to another Incisive Decisive interview. This time, Colin catches up with the dental business coach, Chris Barrow. They talk about all things business and what they see as key to producing an ethical practice. First, enough of me whispering on, here's Colin. Today, um, I'm frantically sat outside at the Riverbank um, where we run a lot of our courses um, on the first day of our uh, year one implant course um, to have a conversation with someone who as I was just walking out to set up, because we're set up outside because it's too noisy inside and it's freezing. And um, I, But I've just realised that we probably should have, if we'd been much more clever, recorded every single conversation we've ever had. And that would have been a volume of information. So uh, it's Chris Chris Barrow. Hello, Chris. Hi. How are you, Colin? Um, so so Chris, Chris and I have had a lot of conversations over the past eight or nine years. Yeah. Um, and... Um, but it was if, if, if I was going to have a podcast that we were going to record, then Chris was always going to be on it. And so we're, I think today, in keeping with the theme of what we've been talking about and, and other interviews I've done this week, um, we're going to have a little chat about um, about Chris's view of where ethics and dentistry and philosophy meet up um, from his experience of what he sees going on right now. And also um, my, my hot topic at the moment, which is the kind of collaboration topic in dentistry and how to get more dentists working with and talking to each other. So if we kick off with something like that, what do you think? Well, that, that, of course, I'd, uh, predictably, I've had this subject dumped on me within the last 10 minutes uh, because uh, <laughs> uh, that's the way that you and I do things. Um, interesting to reflect, and I think it was you that raised this point, that our very first conversation was 2011. I think it was, yeah. Um, and um, we, we've kind of been chatting since then, really, haven't we? Yeah, in one form or another, and, yeah. Um, and, and actually, you inspired me um, to write my own blog post at uh, 5.30 this morning because I did what I always do uh, every morning, which is what the hell am I going to write about today? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, um, I was uh, spontaneously inspired by the fact that we were meeting up today to, uh, to talk about something called the epiphany moment. Ah, right, okay. And uh, it was Colin Campbell that actually christened that uh, because the epiphany moment is that moment when you're in a conversation with somebody else and, and it might be a, a coach, a mentor, a friend, a colleague, a teammate, it might even be a patient, but it's that moment where the light bulb flashes on and all of a sudden there's been an issue that you may have been struggling with for a period of time. Uh, it, it's it's what I've often described as a as a kind of a ball, a ball of spaghetti that's all tangled up. It's a Gordian knot that you don't seem to be able to cut through, and then all of a sudden you're in conversation with another human being, and that light bulb goes on, and all the spaghetti straightens out. Uh, the Gordian knot is untied. So, so we used to, because Chris and I, so I, we don't have a business arrangement per se anymore. For a coaching arrangement, so you you come and do work with us 
uh, you, you've been part of the paid help on yep. the academy. Um, I, prefer the faculty. Disc- <laughs> I prefer to describe myself as a visiting guest lecturer. No, you're paid, paid. I'm part of the paid help in the academy. You're not getting a bigger role than me. So, 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 Chris, Chris, is, Chris comes um, on that basis. But we'll also meet up when we get a chance to have a chat and things, which is rarer and rarer because we're so busy. But, it, but that, they're, they're some of the best times. But that's a Kicking off on the subject that we're talking about, that's a fascinating thing because the value, and this isn't a this isn't an advert for Chris Barrow's coaching services, although usually when you talk to him, it tends to be that way. But um, the, that's the value in having you as a coach, which I what I think it is, and that's that's there is various things that add value when you have a business coach, um, and there's various ways that you add value. But that moment. Um, that epiphany moment that we seem to get to every single day that we work together on, and we worked intensively a lot for 18 months like every month yeah and it would so if i wrote down in a bit of paper over here which i don't have what time of the day that usually happened um half past nine no nah, it was later it was half <laughs> eleven <laughs> but it was an all-day coaching thing but that yeah. that that brings me to the bit where um so we're talking about, we're hoping to talk about maybe the junction of ethics and business and things like that, okay? But um, but the, one of the issues we have is that everybody wants their pound of flesh for exactly that amount of time or that amount of money spent, and they don't see the value around that, okay? Patients, maybe dentists, people you work with, so they want you clocked in, they want you clocked out, they want to see you here for that time. And people don't value the, 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 the sort of high-end value of advice or or brilliant moments. I mean, we would get to half eleven, and I would say that's it right there. That's you, it. you have, you 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 you've made your money today. Shall we go to the cinema? Or yeah. you know, and and it was literally like that, wasn't it? Yeah. And the other thing to to observe about those epiphany moments, um, and by the way, I I, I do want to kind of segue this into the into the subject that we're talking. That we might about be talking in, about in a minute. <laughs> um, is that those epiphany moments are usually stimulated by the fact that you've created a new environment in which to think about an old subject. So, you know, because you're having breakfast in in a cafe in West Bridgeford or because you're walking around an art gallery or because you're walking around the Paul Smith store or because you're walking along the banks of the River Trent and you've taken yourself out of the normal environment in which you're thinking, that facilitates the, the epiphany moment. And isn't it nuts that people in inverted commas can't afford that, close inverted commas, because they're too busy, too busy making money that they can't take a step out and look at themselves and say, how could this be better? What could we do? I, I think so. And I, I think the, the interesting thing for this, on this for me, it, is that you, you'll get a prospective new client will ring me and, and somewhere in the conversation, there'll be the equivalent of how much do you charge for a day? And, and you'll get, at some stage in the conversation, how much do you charge for an implant? Yeah. Nobody ever actually rings you up and says, how much do you charge for an epiphany? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they don't actually get that that's what they're buying. And and my epiphany moment delivered to a client, as it were, is the moment when the, the light bulb goes on. They see the way forward with the business. Your epiphany moment might be actually that you suddenly de- you suddenly realize that there's a way of designing a treatment plan that's going to benefit the patient in a way that perhaps no other dentist or perhaps uh, 
no other patient would benefit from or no yeah. other dentist would see it. So, you know, everybody's upstairs now training to do the work of placing an imp- and restoring an implant. Yeah. But actually what you want to deliver to them is the is the ability to think creatively around that when they're designing treatment plans. So we've, we've been, because um, by the time this goes out, because we've got quite a lot of these in the can now, um, so I'm going to have to tell Sean not, not to put this out until the big reveal comes for the new practice. I said that to Simon on, on Monday as well. But we've spent the last 18 months designing an environment to work in from scratch. So not a, not a semi-detached house and colic that we're trying to make into a dental practice or a, or a bungalow like the one we have that we tried yeah. to make into a specialist clinic. We took, a, we took three and a half thousand square foot of space um, as a footprint and said, well, how do you, you know, what do you want to do? It's a blank canvas. And, and, and I read around ways of doing that and outside of my own industry. So to design, you know, modern thinking and deciding environments for creative thinking are exactly to facilitate that epiphany moment. So you design a hub and spoke. So you have closeted glass offices that are quiet at 50 decibels to do your work in. And you know that work, you know, when you have to write your blog post and when you have to do your 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 wanderlust list or your Asana list, if you're me or whatever it is you do, yep, yep. you got you, you just gotta go and do you gotta crack work out, you've got to answer emails, you, there is work you have to do, and it needs to be quiet and you need to have not people coming in. And then in the middle of that space you have a social space, which is where you just meet up. Um, and, you, and you have a coffee and you relax and stuff happens and it's 70 or 80 decibels because that's the coffee shop noise. So that's why people love coffee shops because it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an evolutionary noisy thing. It's, it's the middle of the village. Right? But it's the space that connects you from one to the other. It's really important because that's when academics talk about serendipitous meetings. And so when, I, you know, when I'm in there doing my emails and you're in there on your coffee and I walk past you and I say, what are you working on today? I was an ambulance, by the way, in the police car. And I say, what are you working on today? And you go, well, actually, I'm working on this. And you go, shit, I, I've been working on something yeah. like that. And then I get a solution from you and you get a solution from me. And, yeah. and, and wouldn't it be great if bring, bringing this around, because these conversations always come around to, to these type of points, is if we could actually get guys to get to talk to each other, to work on these things together within the work that we're doing, within the profession, within the, you know, when we meet up, when we meet up with the guys here on the course and we go up for lunch in a minute, that's the type of conversations we'll be able to have. We yeah. won't be, you won't be saying, well, how long is the implant you're planning on putting in, you know? So I, I've got, I've got this theory about collaboration and, and, I, and I appreciate that was the second subject, but let, let's jump yeah, in. Anyways, there. anyways, anyways it's, it's a podcast to do what you like. Um, I've got this theory about collaboration, which is very, very similar to my theory about epiphanies, which is that collaboration is the consequence of creating an environment in which people are looking forward to turn up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to use a bit of a cliche, I was looking at a Facebook post this morning from somebody that was running a ski CPD moment, uh, a course rather, so there's a bunch of dentists who've all gone off somewhere in the Alps yeah. and all the usual photographs are there of chairlifts and, gla- and glavine or whatever it's called and all the rest of it. But you know that what's happened there is that is that the reason that those people have been motivated to go there is because they're going to get some CPD, uh, because they're going to get the tax break, but they're going to have some fun on the ski slopes 
But there's also going to be some periods of intense learning in, in the middle of all of that and intense lecturing, teaching, whatever it is, where they're going to take away some valuable um, information which will help them to further their career. And if you advertise that same course, um, no disrespect, at, at the BDA at Wimpole Street, people are going to go, yeah, yeah. it's a train to yeah. London, it's yeah. an early start. Yeah. It's sat with all the computers. I've got to walk from Euston across to Wimpole Street and yeah. I'm going to be sat in that room in the basement or in the roof, same old, same old. Is this the consequence of, is this inflation? Is this course inflation? Is it, is it um, so, so luxury inflation? It, I, I, I think it's, one, it's, a, it's a consequence of one of the things I'm going to be talking about upstairs in half an hour, which is that we're drowning in noise. Mm. And we're drowning in choice and we're drowning in, you know, a dozen social media channels that we have to keep checking to find out who's talking to And we're stressed to. if we don't check them. And if we don't <laughs> check, we're stressed. And just the just when you finish spinning the Facebook plate on the end of the stick, the Instagram plate <laughs> pings and you have to run down the row and, and, and spin that plate. And then you spin the Instagram plate and the WhatsApp plate pings and you run down and spin that plate and then you get to it and the email plate spins <laughs> and, you, and you're running up and down a plate of pole, a, a row of poles spinning social and, and media And your eight-hour workday is social media without doing any work. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to check your train timetable uh, on your iPhone and then you've got to check a million other flipping apps on your iPhone. And we're all drowning. We're drowning in, in the noise of being alive. Yeah. And the, the question that anybody faces, and when I talk to the, the delegates upstairs about marketing this afternoon, what I'm going to be saying to you is there you are with your clinic, there you are with your new implant qualification, there you are with all your fancy digital dental doodads, uh, there you are with your brand and your website. But actually, your patients are, according to the latest pundits, your patients are receiving 5,000 advertising impressions a day. Yeah. So how are you going to break through yeah. that to get noticed? Yeah. So the, you want your patients to notice you. How are you going to break through that? Colin Campbell's sitting here saying, I'm all for collaboration and I'd like dentists to notice the fact that I would like them to collaborate more. Yeah. And the dentists are going, great idea, Colin, but can you just bear with me a minute? Because I've got these 20 yeah, 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 plates yeah. I need Well, that's to what we've found, yeah. That's your problem. So the only way you can break through that noise is by saying something exceptionally different yeah and the exceptionally different and by the way you know my mate Ashley Latter's very good at this which he says listen let's all get together and go and walk up Helvellyn and then have a night over at a pub and let's talk about dentistry mm -hmm. while we're having a walk yeah and people sign up for that because they're sick to death of sitting in conference centers and they're sick to death of sitting in hotel rooms and frankly nowadays they're even sick to death of signing up for webinars yeah and sitting at home doing it, yeah, uh, because it's noise. Well, the the the, the um, this is exactly where we are, and and the the difficulty, I guess, is that the the, the, the journey to here has been really quite rapid, right? In terms of um, in terms of history, you know, you know, we we have a short view of history, don't we? But seven years ago, when we were working together, we we were running study clubs at a clinic, and and we couldn't keep up with the demand. You know, we were having. 20 people um, um, six, eight times a year, twice, right? We had to do two groups for the demand. Nowadays, we have a, we have a study club tonight. Um, we have a peer, so we do peer review now. So we don't do 
we don't talk at you. We do peer review case discussions at a little group, right? Um, we'll have six or seven people at best tonight, right? And, they, and the, you know, the engagement in that is really hard. And we're still trying to give that as a service <clears throat> yeah. to our guys. But 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 the, the difficulty is that, so interestingly, the ski course model, the first person to do a ski course that I ever heard of was Jack Richardson in the 1980s. So Jack was running the ski course model. So the ski course model is all of those things you said bundled up together. And I was always very cynical and saying, well, it's just a tax break. But of course, it's a really interesting way of, of doing of doing that type of course. But um, they only get an hour a day. And then we've got this. So if you do want to do implant dentistry, for example, here, we can't bring you down here for three days. <clears throat> it would be brilliant if one of the days was a go-kart in Grand Prix and the next day was this, the next day was that. I made an hour lecture at five o'clock and then we went for a meal. I'd love it, right? Yeah. If you want to sign up for that course for 10 grand a year, give me a shout and I'll put it on, right? <laughs> but we have to also get through... So it's, it's striking that balance, isn't it? Or providing people with an experience that is positive that they like to come on, um, that cures some of their worries and some of their trouble, and and you know gets and and so what we have found, one of our antidotes for that was the online discussion stuff that we set up, which you can you can't really do for a three day course. It doesn't it doesn't really work. But but for the year courses, they're really powerful, and you, but you have to poke them with a stick to start with, and you have to yep. say you don't use that. It's not going to work, right? But then all of a sudden they're in a group of people. When they get to the end of the course, people are saying, can we just keep this program? This And we do keep it running. And so that that's one, but that's what led me onto the collaboration thing of saying, you know, when I was doing peer review as a young dentist, it was some of the most valuable insights into clinical practice I'd ever had. Because we would sit around in a room with people and they would go, sorry, the doors are shut. Actually, this is really difficult. Or, actually, I made an arse of this. Or actually, this is terrible. Or, Don't do that, the thing that I did. But at the moment, we can't get that because everybody's dazzling, aren't they? Yeah. Everybody's shining and dazzling. And and so we're, the, the profession gets more and more connected and more and more isolated at the same time. And that's, that's the worry, isn't it? Because if we don't have, if all we're doing is chasing what somebody says they're doing without any validation on the shiny bright object platforms, the ethics go down. And, and that's okay if you can play that game um, for a while and you can play the business game for a while and you can keep your turnover up but what's happening in the back then is that the profession's been eroded by this massive wave and the social contract's been eroded with the patients and in the end we're not going to be healthcare professionals anymore and that's going to be a really difficult place to come back to if we ever choose to come back So that brings us very conveniently um, to the subject of ethics um, <clears throat> I, I had an epiphany um, a couple of weeks ago. You know my birthday is on the epiphany. Oh. So anyway, carry on. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> it's the day the three wise men arrived at the bedside of the baby Jesus. Okay, And Rowan Atkinson's birthday is the same day. Anyway, shall we carry on? <laughs> we can. I'll just show you that the latest scientific research indicates that there were probably 10 kings. Is that right? Yeah. Well, right. There's inflation. Um, uh, so, um, so ethics. Um, my, let me talk to you about my epiphany. Completely unexpected. I'm going to the BDA annual dinner in Scotland in ah, two weeks. Lovely at the Loch Lomond Golf Country Club. Club. Loch yeah. Lomond Golf Club. Golf Club. We'll need to have a conversation about that. I'll okay. have to tell you about that. Okay. Uh, Who is that, Willie? Uh, I'm going with Arshan. Ah, oh, right. Uh, ah, of course. From, yeah, 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 yeah. Is he the so, president? 
Uh, no, we're just no. going. Right, okay. And uh, so, uh, needless to say, um, uh, the current Mrs. Barrow is invited. Mm-hmm. And needless to say, uh, that requires a, a frock. Yes. So I decided I was going to score maximum man club points. And I got up a couple of Sundays ago and I said, right, this is what we're doing. I'm going to go down in the bunker to do me personal finances because that's what I do on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And then we'll have some brunch. And then I'm going to drive you to the Trafford Centre and we're going to stay there until you come out with a frog. Now, anybody who knows anything about the Trafford Centre will realise that that is a maximum man club score. <laughs> so I'm feeling very self-righteous at this point. And off we go to the Trafford Centre. And, and by the way, what follows is an hilarious episode of Dress Trying On, which we, we I won't share with you in this uh, particular podcast but needless to say Annie and I were crying with laughter as she was trying on various dresses was it like Dumb and Dumber when they get their tuxedos <laughs> very <laughs> similar yeah, yeah. and uh, well I, I will now tell you that and, and she won't she won't uh, you be, have been by the time this she won't out. hear this <laughs> <laughs> no she'll never listen to that um, God, we've only got one listener it's Sean's mum God bless her uh, she came out of the changing rooms just laughing hysterically and she tried on a Karen Millen snakeskin dress nice. and she she swept back the curtain of the changing rooms and stood there and said I look like a boa constrictor that swallowed a dog <laughs> <laughs> at which point me her and everybody in the changing rooms just fell about laughing anyway sometime later we emerged with a, an acceptable frock and on the way out we decided that we were going to do something that we probably haven't done for a very very long time and we just went into lush cosmetics mm-hmm. to decide to buy some of those bath bombs and yeah, all yeah. that and while i'm standing at the counter it smells amazing that shop doesn't great it? stuff while, while i'm standing at the counter i'm looking at this huge huge poster on the wall behind the tills and at the top it begins with the words we believe dot 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 and then below that is their mission statement yeah now, I'm not going to read it out for podcast listeners. Go to the Lush website and just type in We Believe into the little search bar and you'll see that mission statement. And it's a powerful, powerful statement of the core values that that, that company believes in. And it, it it's blatantly obvious to me that when people are queuing up at that checkout to, to part with the money, they're excited about the fact that they're going to be having a bath bomb that night or fabulous shampoo or whatever it is. But they're also excited about the fact that they're supporting an organization that believes that no testing on animals should take place in order to generate the products. They believe in an organization that believes that there should be free movement of human beings across uh, artificial political borders, because that's what it says on the wall in the Trafford Center. They believe, they believe, they believe that, that what Lush are saying is that we are, you know, a decent, honest, ethical organization and we're prepared to write it in giant letters on the wall and i was really struck by that and and it and it it was an epiphany in the sense that it made me kind of stop and think about my clients and i and i know this is a kind of a stupid thing to say but you know have i ever been in a have i ever in 22 years walked into a dental practice where there's been a big sign on the wall behind the front desk that says, here is a statement of the things that we believe in? And the answer is no. And I've been all over the world visiting dental practices, and I've been very privileged 
to work with some, if I can use a football metaphor, some Champions League dental practices and still do. But I've never seen that We Belief poster on the back of the wall. Do you know why that is? I, I, I think I do. It's because up until relatively recently, and I mean the last few years, it was assumed that the ethics around what was provided by healthcare practitioners was a given, and it had been locked down for the last several thousand years, but certainly several hundred years in the Hippocratic Oath. Yep. So it was assumed that you didn't have to say, we believe in the Hippocratic Oath behind your reception, because it was assumed that everybody did. But what happened is that, is that the commercial element of healthcare entered into healthcare, and in a very short space of time, space of time caused a huge conflict in that whole dynamic between between what was, particularly in this country, free access healthcare to paid healthcare. And paid healthcare became a model. And and one of the best metaphors for that in recent times that I've seen, um, written by a guy called Daniel Sokol, who, who Sean gave me the book for this. He's a He's a barrister and, a, and he has a PhD in medical ethics and he's a member of the Magic Circle and all sorts, right? He's a, the book is extraordinary, it's called Tough Choices. It's a collection of his columns, but it's about vaginoplasty, right? Because there is nothing in the Hippocratic Oath which makes vaginoplasty acceptable, nothing. So therefore, if you are a surgeon practicing that, then you have cast aside the oath and that's okay, as long as we know that. And I think you're... This is, there's the, that is the epiphany moment for today. Because I assumed for a long time that everybody held, everybody's values were on, in the same spectrum as mine. And it doesn't matter if they're not. I shouldn't be upset about that. I just know what I think to be right. And so I want people to gather around that. You know, I'll run to that person's flag or that champion, wherever he puts his flag in the sun. And if you're not in there, it's okay. Just make sure that everybody knows who is and who isn't so that people can choose. So there are plenty of ladies that think they don't care whether vaginoplasties are in the Hippocratic Oath or not, and whether a surgeon doing that is going against Hippocratic Oath. They don't care, and that's okay, as long as they're choosing that in the right way. But you can't stand in both camps. So in the absence of Hippocrates, what do you do? I think probably ethics is going to become, as you say, your ethical and philosophical position is going to become a marketable product. You know, you can say, we believe that we are an ethical dental practice for these reasons. Right. And, and you know, you, and you can have a 10-point thing that says, and, and the beauty of that is if somebody starts to do that, then, then to, to, to quote Carlo Higginsism, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. So people will say, well, they're doing that. And so in order to get a, a, to, to latch on to that competitive advantage, they will also have to do that, but they'll have to say it publicly. And if they say it publicly, they'll either have to live with it or die. So a couple of points here. The, the, the first point, our mutual friend Mark Topley, uh, who advises businesses, dentists included, on, on what we call their corporate social responsibility program. Um, Mark and I, I know that you talk to Mark. I, I talk to Mark. Um, uh, we have the same long conversations. And I've tried to understand, I've tried to have Mark explain to me what CSR is, because being a simple soul, I thought that CSR was raising money for charity. And what Mark has made me realize is actually um, uh, uh, where I'm at in my head at the moment is that CSR 
is a combination of three things. The first thing it is, is raising money for charity, or, or should we say dedicating either time, talent, or money to help those less fortunate than yourself. So let's call that charitable activity. And that's the first of what I think are the three pillars of CSR. The second one is environment, because I, uh, I've been taught by Mark that part of your CSR program is how you engage with the environment around you. And so it might be the use of plastics within the practice, or it might be your carbon footprint. It's all that, can I call it, green stuff, which of course now is becoming more and more important to all yeah. of us. And the third pillar of your CSR is, is community. And community is the way in which you engage with other human beings. And those human beings include, in no particular order, your suppliers, uh, your patients, your team, your business colleagues, and your competitors, and the wider community in the postcode in which you live. So it's the golden rule. It's doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I've, I've kind of learned that from Mark. And, and I went to a place in my head where I said, okay, well, so has ethics in 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 the absence of Hippocrates, has ethics actually been replaced by CSR? And where I'm at at the moment is that the answer to that is partly so, but I think it goes a bit further. And, and, I, and I'm going to propose what I think ethics is about in the absence of Hippocrates. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you four words. And I'm going to, I wrote these words down a a few days ago because I was chatting to a client about it and I wanted to remember. And and the the first word is confidence. Um, Because what we all do for a living, what I do for a living, what you do for a living is that we deliver confidence to our clients and patients. We We want our clients and patients at the end of a transaction with us to feel more confident than when they began. And that my clients are confident in their own future because of the, the, the catalyst that I've been. And your patients are more confident in their own future because of the work you've done. So there's my first word. My second word is respect. And respect is an extension of the community aspect of CSR. That actually we are committed to treating our fellow human beings in a respectful way. It's as simple as that. And that is just the golden rule kind of rewrit. It's treating other people in a respectful way. The third rule is consistency. And consistency means that we're able, because of the systems that we've designed in our business, clinical and non-clinical systems for you, systems for me, those systems, you know, to quote FedEx, it's the same time, on time, every time that when our receptionists answer the phone, they say the same thing in answer to the same question. When we greet and meet people in the practice, we do so in the same way. When we deliver the dentistry, we do so in the same way. It's a consistent operating system within the business. And the fourth and final word is responsibility. And what I mean by that is that we conduct ourselves in a responsible manner. And responsibility extends to the way in which we do our work. And responsibility also exists in in what we charge for it. Because the opposite of responsibility would be profiteering. 
the op- the opposite of responsibility would be overtrading, and all of those things. And what I'd love to see is is to walk into a dental practice and and to say, well, it. And I know this is kind of an impossible dream, but it's all it's almost to say, right, well, over here. Insofar as what we do is governed by Hippocrates, here's a copy of the Hippocratic Oath, mm-hmm. and we sign up to it. And insofar as what we do that isn't covered by Hippocrates, here's a statement of our corporate social responsibility uh, belief. And here's a statement of the fact that we believe that we're going to show up every work, every day for work, and we're going to deliver confidence. We're going to show respect and appreciation we're going to standardize our systems and we're going to we're going to act in a responsible way and there's your ethics okay so as always happens in these things we run out of space so to finish off in part two (laughs) i think we'll be back for the business course we'll have to do it again Um, what i'm thinking here is i'm not going to publish this and i'm just going to listen to it again and write it down but I'm going to tell you two stories about Loch Lomond Golf Club to finish, <laughs> to tie it up. The first is the day before one of my best friends got married, we had a golf day at Loch Lomond. Well, it, it ties into both of these. And um, and we were playing golf with the boys. So it's a, it's a very, very exclusive place, right? I think the first when it first opened to get to buy a debenture, which was to buy a right to be a member, was $100,000. And so, so it was, um, and, and um, it's the place where, um, Paul Gascoigne took a shit in a bunker um, when he was playing golf with Ali McCoyst and nearly got them both thrown out. It's that type of podcast, but not sworn enough at all. So on that day, first of all, they wouldn't let my wife down the drive because of the car she was driving. <laughs> but ultimately they did. When she was coming, to, the girls were coming to meet us afterwards as it, and the boys were playing. But I want you just to picture the scene because the, the, the eighth, I think it's the eighth or the ninth hole, straight back to the clubhouse. It's a beautiful setting. And I was not a good golfer. I don't play much golf at all now. I'm a good golfer. But we all had caddies. And on the on the tee of this part three, I hit the ball first shot off the tee, tee shot off the tee to about a foot, right? In front of the clubhouse. Bang, dropped it dead. And my caddy pulled out the putter and handed it to me and said, there's nothing better than a long walk with a putter. So I went to that tee and I, and I hold the putt for a birdie. And I went back into the, to, because you're not allowed phones on the course, beautiful. So I went into the clubhouse halfway through to check my phone after my birthday to check my wife knew she was coming and blah, 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 blah. And when I got to my locker, um, it was open and it had, and, and my shoes were missing. And, and I thought, this is, that's rubbish, you know. I've had my shoes stolen before, incidentally, that's another story. And my shoes were missing and I thought, I found my phone and I was really, really pissed off. And I went to one of the stewards and I said, I think somebody's stolen my shoes. And he said, no, sir, that man over there is cleaning them. And um, <laughs> so I don't fit in that world. So good luck. I hope our dress is nice. Um, that, that was extraordinary and exactly what this type of recording is supposed to be about. Thank you so much for letting me hijack you this morning. Chris. Absolute pleasure. Well, that's it for another episode of Incisive Decisive. To hear more from Chris and to sign up for his blog, visit his website at coachbarrow.com If you like what we're doing please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice If you've got a question for us or want to give us any kind of feedback then there are loads of ways you can contact us Email us at info at 
We're also on Twitter at IncisivePod, and we're on Facebook as well. Do spread the word. Tell your friends, colleagues, and everyone you know about what we're doing. And after you've checked us out, why not take a look at the work of one of our good friends, Oliver Jackson. Oliver runs a philosophy blog and Twitter feed. If you like what we're doing, we know you'll like what he's doing. I'll put links to his stuff in the show notes. As always, our intro music is Grave Robber by the wonderful Gallops. Listen to more of their music at gallopsgallops.com. We'll see you all on the next Incisive Decisive.